0: Hello, and welcome to The Virtual Frontier, the podcast about virtual teams created by a virtual team. I'm Chris, and I'm part of the team here at FlashUp. On today's episode, we have Derek Gallimore. Derek is the founder and CEO of The Outsource Accelerator. Derek and Manuel talked about offshore staffing and the future of a globalized workforce. So here is episode 19 of The Virtual Frontier, featuring our guest, Derek Gallimore.
1: Hello and welcome to our podcast, Virtual Frontier. Today we have the episode, Offshore Stuffing and the Future of a Globalized Workforce. We have Derek Gallimore in our episode, and Derek is the founder and CEO of the Outsource Accelerator. Derek, your business is described as the world's leading independent source of information and advisory for staff outsourcing to the Philippines. So... Let's start, uh, let's start to get the basics right. Uh, let's tell us something about you and specifically about what is outsourcing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. And as always, I'm certainly excited to to speak about this uh, topic. So yeah, do you want me to do you want me to define sort of outsourcing as 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 I see it?
1: Yeah, because basically people think about outsourcing. Okay, I have some. Amount of work I hand it over to somebody, they do it and hand it over to me, and I don't care about these outsourcing company or people. And they usually think it's very, yeah, it's not the way we work. It's intransparent, people we don't know. So, but what does it mean to you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think outsourcing for better or worse is a is a big broad umbrella term and it covers a huge array of different options, different types of working uh, and different structures uh, and I say for better or worse because I think that outsourcing the term itself has a lot of negative connotation with it um, and you know I think uh, obviously you share the same industry as me, I think we have a lot of work ahead of us to to sort of really open people's minds and hearts to the potential of, of outsourcing or offshoring. So I suppose the the part of outsourcing that I focus on is really more uh, staff augmentation and it is about offshoring those staff. So for all intents and purposes, these are still your staff. They're your team. They're a part of your company and buy into your values and your processes. And generally you as the business owner or the manager manage uh, the people uh, manage their operations and manage their outputs. Uh, the only really significant difference is that instead of them sitting beside you in your office, they are uh, aggregated in an office uh, in the Philippines, and uh, you know the outsourcing supplier or ourselves. Um, provides the facilities, A grade facilities, uh, also employs them. So that they're, they're legally employed. They have all the government contributions, all of the healthcare. Um, but for all intents and purposes, then they are your staff working, uh,
1: towards your mission. Ah, I see. Okay. That's a huge difference from what I described because what you said is that you, you build a system where you can access people that live in the Philippines but make them yeah, part of your company. You can manage them by yourself. They will be part of your culture instead of having like an account manager that has people behind and then yeah, some intransparent things happen without you being able to control them so that you can't really influence the result and you just have to trust this single person, this single point of failure. Instead, what you do is give people access to, yeah, Another part of the world, in your case, it's the Philippines, where you have really great talent and then make these people an integrated part of your organization, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we represent the entire outsourcing industry in the Philippines. And it's been going 25 years. And, of course, there's a lot of different um, business models within the industry. The original outsourcing was that full-service BPO, as I think that you've alluded to. Um, But now that is, you know, the the enterprise businesses, big international conglomerates are still using those uh, full-service options. But generally for the small and medium-sized businesses in the world, they are leaning more towards the staff augmentation, staff leasing model that we generally promote as well.
1: Yeah, because this... um also supports the agile transformation that almost every business is heading to right if you don't have access to your people and you can't work directly with them then you can't use agile methods to yeah like improve your business continuously with those smart people
2: yeah absolutely and i i don 't want to be you know i 'm relatively agnostic. I believe that this form of offshore staffing works well, um, but also you know it 's like a toolkit. Uh, if you need some project work done, then artwork might be a really good option, and of course, you know most small and medium sized businesses, they will typically go to an accountant go to a law firm that is all different types of project based work you know and of course it um, getting websites built all of this is just a part of the the, the different optionalities for hiring people uh, in different sort of senses and getting work done ultimately mm
1: mm-hmm. okay and let me know how did all this start i mean how or what was the moment when you first thought about building an organization that helps others to outsource?
2: Yeah. So my my previous business was uh, I've always been entrepreneurial and my previous business was in uh, hotels and hospitality. We had a service department company in central London and because of uh, hospitality, there was a need for 24-7 uh, customer support because, of course, everyone people are in your hotel twenty four seven and I realized that wasn 't uh, financially viable in central London, so someone suggested that I went to the Philippines in two thousand and eleven. I got my first employee in the Philippines, and I very quickly found that they were incredibly effective at a great uh, price, and then built that office up to about seventy staff. Uh, we started with um, customer service, but then very quickly we went up the value adder uh, ladder, and you know we were having the entire organisation effectively uh, built and managed from the Philippines. So once I moved on from that business, um, I you know I, I had then spent considerable amount of time in the Philippines. I was very aware of the outsourcing industry and saw the value, the in- incredible value of this offshore staffing model uh, can bring to businesses in the West. Now there's a lot of outsourcing suppliers in the world, but there's no aggregator platform and there's no marketplace that helps um, small and medium sized businesses navigate this industry. So, you know, I created Outsource Accelerator, which is that marketplace. Uh, you know, we list about 700 outsourcing suppliers. We have about 5,000 articles on the website. And it's all about uh, educating people about what offshore staffing is, how they do it, the pricing structures, uh, and then also how they find and match up with uh, suitable suppliers.
1: Mm-hmm. In in the past, I mean, I'm in, in the IT business. Um, I started there since 2006, basically, and... Um, even before that I studied computer science and during this time I always heard about offshoring, near outsourcing, and there were movements towards outsourcing, then there were movements back to insourcing. Why do you think there is always a cycle in this like it's like a trend, you know? Then people start doing that, then they have some experience, they stop and they think insourcing is better, then they have this huge war of talent, don't find people locally, they outsource again. Uh, Do you think it's just a trend or how will the future of work look like? Uh,
2: In terms of a a sort of macro view, I believe everything like a pendulum uh, swings. You know, you have centralization of services, then you have decentralization of services. In in America, you, you know, go Republican and then you go Democrat. And, And I think that generally, you know, Sort of something catches on, and then over a decade, it swings to the extreme, and then it goes back the other way. Uh, I think there are pros and cons to everything. Um, you know, there is a sort of strictly defined outsourcing, which is effectively, I think, um, you know, when you get someone else to manage that business that aspect of your business for you there are pros and cons to that that I think has been debated for you know decades or centuries now in that you can get a specialist to do it they might be specialized at it but then you don't have the skills internal you know and you're reliant then on an external partner which carries its risks um, so I see the the pros and cons of that what I do see though is a general trend towards globalization now 50 years ago there was no globalization certainly at the level that we have now because quite simply there wasn't the the internet the communications the low cost of all of the internet and communications and the set of technological interfaces that now allow that so you know uh, there's always this movement between outsourcing and insourcing um, but something that is progressive is this globalization, and what that brings is the opportunity. You know, previously we were isolated to the geographic location that we were based, uh, whether it was us or our business or our clients. And you know, you might be in a city of one million people. Now you have a marketplace of about seven or eight billion people in the world. And my sort of message and thesis is that the global communica- community should be sourcing from the globe and that's 8 billion people that can potentially do the job better than the options that you have locally so it's it's super exciting opportunity and you know that just leads to more opportunities as the technology and communications improves
1: <laughs> while you were describing this I had a huge smile on my face because that's exactly The vision that I follow and that's what I experienced when I had my local workforce like two and a half years ago and we had always too many projects or too many people and we couldn't source new projects to earn enough money. Um, But then one project crashed and I had the chance to either let it crash or save it and I started with a virtual team where I got 23 people. 23 people in a single day that saved my projects over four days. So that was the moment for me when I experienced, wow, there are more than enough people all over the world that have the time and the skills to help me with my, with my situation right now. I just need Mm -hmm. to understand how I can access them, how I can find them. And then most importantly, how to manage them properly, how to delegate properly which tools and workflows I need so that outsourcing is not happening by accident, but follows a structure and a system. So which advice would you give to organizations that are new to outsourcing if they want to start in the right way and avoid the most common problems?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, it's very broad. It really depends on their requirements. It depends on their firm. but generally, you know, what I would suggest is just be open-minded to to what opportunities and resources are out there that aren't necessarily local to you. Um, and just sort of be open-minded that people don't necessarily have to sit in the same office as you to be highly, uh, you know, competent, capable, and to contribute uh, to your business As anyone just sitting locally would do. And I think once you realize that, then you go, holy hell, you know, I've been hiring from a pool of only 1 million people or 100,000 people and there are 7 billion, 8 billion people out there. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities out there. Now, whether you choose to go down a sort of an agency route, um, or, uh, an upwork, you know, gig economy kind of route, some sort of project work, or offshore staffing, staff augmentation. There's so many different options, um, and we can certainly help you navigate those. But really, it's just opening up uh, the sort of the opportunity to explore those. Mm.
1: Yeah, be be open minded. I mean, that sounds easier <laughs> as it is, but um, if there is such a big opportunity and the pressure increases every year, I mean, pressure to really find local talent. So, what holds people back from just giving it a try?
2: yeah, I think um you know culture moves slowly, and certainly people if if you know um, they're not used to working with remote uh teams um then you know, it, there's a sort of cultural shift needed. You, instead of just sort of leaning over and telling someone how to do something, you actually have to maybe have a few more systems. You have to rely on software. You have to rely on uh, sort of technical, uh, technological interfaces a little bit more. So I think these are the kind of hurdles. And then also, you know, when you talk about offshore staffing, typically um, you're going to an emerging market, something like the Philippines. So on top of that, there's all the concerns about, um, you know, these are these are slightly different people. These this is an emerging economy. Is is it safe? Is the trust there? And then how do we work with different time zones? So I think there's just sort of you know gray areas. There's uncertainty. There's maybe a lack of uh, um, you know clarity as to how to proceed. And it's just really believing that it is all doable. It's achievable. Um, and people have been doing this now for 25 years. You'd be surprised. Who is doing it? Um, and it's really a lot easier than than you think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, basically it comes to it comes to the way that organizations are used to work from the past, right? Because most organizations are used to work with their stuff in a local office, and then what happens, they value. They value these kitchen talks and they value the personal conversations that you can have in a daily basis when you meet in the office almost accidentally. They value this more than clarity, structure and a systematic approach to get work done. And from my experience, that's why they think work has to be like this and work can't be different. And if you tell them, okay, you can outsource your work to like the Philippines or to a virtual team spread all over the globe, then they think, "Okay, this can't work because here in our company, we work like this and this and that, and this is the only way it can work so changing these habits, changing these belief sets, and changing this culture is most likely the biggest thing. but on the other side, companies understood they need to change, they have to change and If there was a company that really wants to change, what do you think is the first step to get a positive experience?" with outsourcing
2: yeah look um, you're absolutely right and you know i think companies are compelled to stay competitive and you know companies cannot stay static they have to keep up with the competitors and they have to keep up with global uh, and technological trends um, and I think just offshore staffing is, is one of those things. If you want to dip your toe in, you know, I it's it's easier than you think. It's really you know it, it depend, again depending on on the size of your firm. But just identify one role in your business that is not necessarily mission critical to your business. It's not necessarily too technical, um, and also potentially it's not necessarily Uh, to client facing, okay? So choose something that basically cannot fail is what I'm suggesting. Uh, Choose something that you are commonly doing and you have an established process for it. Now, once you've identified that function or role, very commonly, it could be a little bit of bookkeeping, it could be basic uh, business administration, potentially customer service, but I would tend not to focus on that too much because that's customer facing. Once you've identified that role, then you can just dip your toe in by um, employing someone and giving that a go. You, know, you can actually even start on Upwork or something so that it's a part-time project. Um, but effectively, it's just familiarizing yourself with um, identifying the role or the function, then mapping out the process required to complete that. Then finding the resources, conveying that information to the resources, getting them to do it, and then there is an iterative process of assessing what they've done, uh, critiquing it, and you know just sort of generally improving the process from there. It's super simple. I think where people uh, sometimes fall down, or they um, you know they they basically expect too much at the beginning. Very commonly when you talk about outsourcing, people choose, when you say, you know, choose a role to outsource, people will think of the role that they hate doing, the very difficult roles and the roles that they have never managed to do before. And then they go, okay, well, do this for me because I can't do it. And I really don't like doing it myself. And those roles are commonly destined to fail because outsourcing isn't about Um, solving your problems, it's not about outsourcing the problems, it's actually about getting well-established processes done more efficiently. So, you know, it's just sort of choose something easy, choose something that can't fail, get experience with that, and then you can move up the value ladder and complexity ladder of different roles and processes.
1: That's a very valuable advice, yeah, really to focus on those things that can't fail and those things that you are Really familiar with like established processes um, that is a good start to get a positive experience and then grow further and further with more positive experience. I'm wondering now if you if you say technology is a driver of outsourcing because fifty years ago there was simply not such an opportunity to collaborate with people from all over the world, which tools I mean, not the specific tool, but types of tools do organizations need to implement so that a seamless cooperation and collaboration between the one local office and the outsourcing staff in the Philippines can work successfully?
2: Yeah, look, I'm I'm fairly agnostic. I would suggest going as simple as you can especially if you're not already using a lot of different softwares and tools, then don't introduce too many because that is just going to add another layer of complexity and confusion and and stress for you or the boss or whoever it is. Use the most simple tools. You know, we've got Skype. Um, Most everyone has Skype. You've got Google documents that people can, you know, just write out a process. Um, And that's it. You know, maybe have a to-do list um, and just start with that. the 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 key aspect is to just get the information out of out of your head um, into some sort of process, some sort of mapped process, which can then be transferred into the head of the other person. Um, You know, and tools are great, um, but just sort of try and minimise them at the start, and then you can layer on more and more tools. you know, as you go sort of project management tools and uh, different communication tools. And of course, you've got Slack and things like that. Now, that's not to say that this technology sort of uh, kind of ramp up that we've had over the last 50 years is incredible. You know, it, it's only sort of 20 years ago that that international calls were prohibitively expensive uh, and then came along Skype. And, you know, so it's just really... Taking advantage of these incredible things, and it's really about reducing the friction of working alongside someone. Okay, that's all it is. It's reducing the friction. If it's if it's a pain to work with someone, if it's a pain to do something, then it won't work. So it's just about how do you reduce that friction? Establish the roles and processes, as well as establish a bit of um, rapport with you know, the people working together um, and then that's all you need. You're away. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely reasonable.
0: Hey everyone, Chris here again. We'll get back to our conversation with Derek Gallimore in just a minute. I wanted to give a quick thank you and shout out to Cape Plans for the review of our show on Apple podcast. They said, if you work in or with a remote team or are interested in using virtual teams, this podcast is a must hear smiley face emoji. So thanks again for that review, k We really, really appreciate it. Reviews like that really help people find our show. So if you like what you're hearing, please head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. You just might be featured right here in this spot on a future episode. Now back to our conversation with Derek Gallimore.
1: From your explanations and from your experience, how can organizations avoid the following scenario that has definitely nothing to do with the right or wrong tools. But what, when I started with like opening our organization to distributed stuff all around the globe, basically we use freelancers from everywhere, um, we experienced that our local people so, well, there are other people that can help me immediately. Whenever I need a DevOps engineer or software developer or whatever, I have this person like in a week instead of six months. Then they started working with these people. But what they lack is a clear understanding of which skill this person has and which kind of work we can really delegate to this person. What happened then is that, uh, let's say a software developer, somebody hired a software developer to extend their capacity in the team. And then they saw, wow, the software developer is really good. And then they started handing over other kind of work. And today we call this role pollution because the person was hired as a software developer. Then he was supposed to also manage his own work. Then he needs to understand like user interface a little bit and he needs to do the quality assurance of his own work instead of, having a separate Mm. QA person. So his role and his skills got polluted and this led to poor results because this person is an expert in software development but not in management. And we had to shift this around and really got clear about the roles, the skills and our own expectations of the work that we want to get done and map this together. And then this led to a real clear picture of which kind of people we need to get which kind of work done. How can organizations avoid this mistake?
2: Yeah, I mean, and I think that's a common example and it's one that we see too often. Um, but sort of taking out the offshoring aspect to this, I, I think that is a fundamental management question that people have been sort of experiencing for. Decades, if not hundreds of years, you know, um, some like part of the issue there is that that when people are effective, they get more jobs given to them. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you do a really good job, then we'll give you two jobs tomorrow. And if you do those really well, then we'll give you four jobs tomorrow. Um, so it's just really um, putting in management processes and um, operational processes in place so that that doesn't happen too much. Um, You know, and again, I think the, you know, you call it sort of role pollution, but I think that very commonly um, distributed workforces or remote or offshore teams can often be, can often, well, can often fail, um, and they're wrongly sort of accused of failing because they're offshore or they're remote, and actually it's potentially just the management structure in place that is causing those to fail, you know, and and that is as much the case as, look, businesses are tough, running a smooth operation is tough, managing people is tough, uh, and then when you add another layer that those people are in a different location, it's a little bit tougher again. So there's a lot of factors in creating um, a very complex environment. And then when... Something goes wrong, then people can just naturally jump to conclusions, saying, "Well, you know this is a remote team, so that must be the problem um, I think fundamentally, if you have good processes in place, good systems in place um then the the fact that they're remote or distributed doesn't really change that much um but i yeah I agree with you i, I absolutely see it so commonly that um I call it role creep, you know as soon as someone gets good at something. They give them five more tasks, and um yeah it's 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 something that needs to be sort of managed uh within the operation
1: mm. that requires a huge amount of self reflection of the person that delegates work, right because whenever they start something new and then things fail, they are used to blame the new system or what they simply tried and what was new instead of reflecting on themselves and understand okay i I had an excellent person, but I delegated either in the wrong way or I delegated the wrong type of work to this person. And um, if they do this, then they can improve. Otherwise, they would shut the door to outsourcing and never be able to access this opportunity again. Um, So when we look at typical organizations, I'm not just referring to Germany, but to Europe or even across the world. How many organizations do you think are really ready to outsource properly and how to identify if my organization is really ready to outsource?
2: Uh, Yeah, good question. Great question. Um, Look, I I generally say that 99% of businesses can and should outsource. Even if you have a business that is very physically, Located like a plumber, for example, or an electrician, you know there are still a huge amount of activities within that business that can and should be done remotely. You know whether it's marketing or accounting, invoicing, bookkeeping, um, general administration, uh, client follow-ups, you know any anything. Um, all of that stuff can be done remotely, and it is more efficient to do that remotely now there is one aspect with you being in germany and this is you know the big elephant in the room there is a a language barrier there and you know and and i don't know to what degree but this is a point of friction okay and and i sort of commonly come back to the point of friction if if friction is too high um then regardless of how much you save or the other benefits then it's not worth it so Um, people just have to sort of assess the alignment in terms of the sort of um, the language. Um, But beyond that, um, pretty much every business should look at um, what they can outsource, what they can offshore, um, you know, and that, that is regardless of the sector, but also regardless of the, the, the stage of the life cycle that they're in. So, you know, should you, Start offshoring when you're a startup or a 50 year old company with a thousand people. And my answer to that is, um, just do it now because if you're, if you're hiring your first person, then it's a great start to hire that person remotely and set the foundations. If you have a thousand staff, um, then start with two or three staff doing one function. Uh, offshore, and then that can maybe spread to other parts of the organization. Um, So it's a a very flexible uh, application and and model.
1: I absolutely see it in the same way. If you start to build your organization based on a culture that fosters flexibility and that leverages outsourcing already, then it's easy to scale that with the same system, with outsourcing and virtual teams and the distributed workforce. If you grow a company to like 40, 50, 100, even 1,000 people, and then you need to change this culture to accept outsourcing or make even outsourcing your DNA, that's a heavy mission. (laughs) That's a heavy mission for for sure. It is Um, hard, yeah, and
2: it's difficult to, you know, even if you have 1,000 people, it's really difficult to implement a different software system or or an ERP or a you know, a a sort of clock-in system for the staff, everything gets very difficult to to sort of change in in big businesses. And, you know, and this is potentially the downfall of uh, big businesses. Um, But certainly there's so many upsides that that it's uh, hard to refute.
1: Yeah. So changing uh, change is always hard. Changing systems or tools is hard, but changing the culture, I think this is the hardest thing.
2: Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely
1: um let's let's uh, dive into a discussion of um local workforce i mean you also you connect two local workforces right you have a local organization and then you have the team in the philippines and somehow they are connected while we have a completely virtual organization distributed all over the globe um we, we even want to get rid of our office, so there is no physical limitation, no restriction, no office. So just virtually, globally, digital. Um, where do you see the differences?
2: Yeah, look, I it, it's um, horses for courses. I th- I think there's there's different options. I think there are pros and cons to to every model out there. Um, you know. There is, of course, uh, Automatic, which is uh, Matt Mullenweg's company that runs WordPress. That is sort of, I think, most famously the probably the most prominent distributed company with about 1,000 staff, I believe. Uh, They have never had an office, um, you know, and and it works for them. And, of course, they're building a very successful company. Um, So I think the assumption is that people that have, you know multi international offices they're generally a a huge conglomerate um and then people sort of say well we don't have the sophistication to work with people in different locations but you know you only need to look at um a small coffee shop you know and if if they have two branches of coffee shops then they are fundamentally you know working as a distributed team and they have two coffee shops in the same town, but different parts of the town. They then have to figure out uh, processes, procedures for aligning the culture of those two staff uh, teams. Um, and this is all that you have to do within a business. You know, how do we keep people aligned? How do we tell them what they need to do? Um, how do they feel a part of one culture, one business? Um, you know, and how do we how do we sort of execute this efficiently? Um, and effectively so um, it's not as complicated as people sort of tend to to lean towards
1: okay yeah that sounds really that sounds to me like um, or let me rephrase it if you have a local team is it required to have this local team because it leads to better work results or is it just a social benefit for people that like to work when other people are around?
2: Yeah, a little bit of everything, isn't it? I mean, look, personally, I think that there is a a certain higher level of efficiency if people connect together, Um, you know, and, and that's why we sort of suggest to have the model of you have your local team and then you have another team Sitting in the Philippines, and they all go to the office. They all turn up at the same time. They have the huddles and the meetings and things like that. Um, I see uh, an advantage to that, but equally, you know, I, I see the arguments for fully distributed teams, fully independent, location-independent teams. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of different options here, um, and I don't think any one of them is right, any one of them is wrong, but certainly the, the sort of optionality is, is expanding.
1: Do your clients usually meet their offshore staff? Personally, I mean?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it it depends. Uh, some of them might just have one or two people and, you know, they they might visit sort of two or three years later. Um, but some of them are pretty proactive. They might even come before they build a team. Um and some of them come every six months, every three months. You know, it depends on how engaged they are. Um, but generally, it adds incredible uh, sort of fidelity to the experience. When you're talking to people over Skype, over Zoom, and, you know, you sort of get to know them, you chat with them, you're texting them and blah, 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 you're emailing them, you get to know people. But it's not until you actually visit the site see them all hanging together see them doing the work see them going for their lunch breaks see them chatting to each other see them turn up see them tired see them happy that it really you know sort of gives you the full picture in high fidelity and then you realize that you know these aren't just an offshore team this isn't just outsourced people but they're actually people and you know they've all got their own families they've got got their own career aspirations they're excited they're sad and it, and it sort of adds this extra level of depth to the business relationship and then people are like you know wow this is this is incredible um and generally once people have visited it's 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 a completely different beast it's it's uh, it's a different experience and generally once people have visited you know they might have two staff five staff ten staff they want to 10x by the time that they leave um <laughs> because they're so convinced by by the model
1: Absolutely agree. This is exactly my experience. So what I realized it's not it's not that you have to sit in the same office to get work done, but you have to meet in person so that you really see and connect on a human level, on an emotional level. And this connection lasts over even yeah, two, three, six, eight, twelve months. So we repeat our team meetings where we invite our Virtual stuff to one local physical point wherever it is in the world, so that we can connect on a on a on an emotional basis, on a human basis, and simply share some experience with each other. So um, from from my perspective, it's not required to sit in an office to get work done, but it is required to keep people connected to the mission, to the vision, to the values of the company, to connect physically at least once a year so this is how how we do it and from my understanding this is what you described right
2: yeah i absolutely agree yeah
1: now if you if your business continues to grow over the next let's say 5 years which vision do you follow and how will this impact the economy or businesses that do not do outsourcing today
2: yeah, so look, we have uh written a white paper on this. We did some research and there's about 50 million small and medium-sized businesses in the in the high-cost English-speaking world. Um and if you look at the the big international conglomerates, the enterprise, um the Fortune 500s, um 95% of those businesses outsource. If you compare it to the 50 million small and medium-sized businesses in the world, around about 0.5% of those businesses outsource. Okay, so you've got this this skewed distribution where basically every big business outsources and no small businesses outsource. And the reason for that is 20 years ago, it was available to big business. It was not available to small business because of the cost of the technology, the communications, the scale that you needed to do it to make it cost-efficient. Now it is cost-efficient, but people aren't quite aware of it. They're not quite comfortable with it. But I believe over the next 10 to 20 years, it will become ubiquitous. Everyone will offshore or have a remote team uh, in some respect. So I suggest that over the next sort of 10 to 20 years, there will be another 50 million jobs at least that will uh, be offshored or outsourced. Uh, It's a huge shift that's about to happen. Um, And it's moving more towards that globalized, single globalized marketplace, whether it's in terms of consumption or whether it's in terms of uh, production. And it's 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 a good thing for the world. There's a lot of fear about this, that it might take jobs. Um, but basically, it's moving uh, further towards one completely globalized, networked marketplace. And that means more prosperity, more opportunities for all of the people within that globalized marketplace.
1: I really love this vision, a globalized marketplace where you can hire people wherever they are whenever you need them you can scale on demand yeah that's that's also the vision i am working and living for every day i think there is a long way to go especially when i see how companies think work and um yeah especially think about (laughs) offshoring nearshoring outsourcing virtual teams etc because they always fear that they lose control then I think it's a far way, but as pressure is increasing every month to find really talented local people and the war of talent is increasing dramatically, especially if you want to hire locally, then there's simply no other way than yeah, open your borders and being open-minded and try to access this knowledge that you can access that is available all around the globe. So, Now we come already to the end of this show. Is there some some three points that you want to give to our audience so that they can start outsourcing and benefit from that by today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Look, point one, uh, just open your mind to this opportunity and explore it. You owe it to your company to stay competitive and cost efficient. Uh, so just basically explore outsourcing or offshoring. Uh, number two would be just find a, a low risk, low cost way of dipping your toe in and trying this. Okay. For your company, um, you've got to commit to it. Otherwise, if you're not committed, then, you know, just nothing will happen, but just try a small project, uh, try, uh, one role, um, and, and explore it because what you, learn through doing is significantly greater than, than sort of listening to a podcast or reading a book. Um, and then the third one is, you know, don't um, expect too much too quickly. Uh, really just treat it like employment. And, you know, for the first month, it'll be a little bit rocky. For the second month, uh, things will start to get on track, but there will be disappointments. But then the third month, things will start to settle down, just like any normal employment Uh, sort of relationship or environment. Um, And once you harness, uh, you know, offshoring or or global sourcing, um, then it is an incredible opportunity and competitive advantage for your company.
1: Mm. And I think it's worth always keeping in mind, if you offshore, if you outsource, if you leverage freelancers for virtual teams, always keep in mind, these are also human beings not machines, they are not God. they make mistakes, and they heavily Mm -hmm. depend on what you delegate to them. So I think this is also one important thing, at least from my learnings, and um, which aligns with what you said, don't expect too much too fast. You're still hiring people. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, thanks a lot for being on the show and for all your valuable insights. Where can people reach out to you?
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, just go to the website, which is outsourceaccelerator.com. Uh, there's a huge amount of information there. We have toolkits there that you can download uh, or reach out to me direct, which is Derek at outsourceaccelerator.com.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. Then I wish you happy scaling and thanks for being on our show.
0: Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our guest Derek Gallimore for joining us today. You can find out more about Derek and the Outsource Accelerator at OutsourceAccelerator.com. You can subscribe to The Virtual Frontier on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Reviews help people find our podcast. And don't forget your review could be featured on a future episode, just like k Plans was earlier. If you wanna learn more about virtual teams as a service, Visit flashhub.io. On behalf of the team here at Flash Hub, I'd like to thank you for listening. So until next episode, keep exploring new frontiers.